0: Boy, weren't those something? You know, really, in that last song there, all of them, actually, thank you, Brother Hamp, and uh, the rest of you. Um, those words tell the entire gospel message and the hope that we have in Christ. So, praise his name. Aren't you glad that you're a Christian? You know, as I get older, and uh, by the way, I am getting older, today is the anniversary of, uh, of Debbie and our family being with you for 18 years. Wow. Can you believe that? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank you. I know what you're doing. You're clapping. You're thinking maybe it'll be a lot shorter next time. We're getting closer, right? Now, can you believe 18 years of being here with you? And, uh, boy, the closer we get to heaven, the more we just want to be like Jesus. And uh, the more we appreciate what the Lord has done for us. Uh, And I hope that's you. It's certainly the case with me as I'm just often blown away by the truth of the gospel and and how impacting the gospel is and to think about what the Lord has given of himself to do for us. I really just pray and hope that you never get tired of that, that you're just overwhelmed all the time thinking about, Jesus came to the earth to rescue me? I mean, Just let that sink in. I was talking to a guy who runs a paint store right down the road here is a dear brother and believer and we were just standing out in the back of my truck talking about all of this and he said, you know Bruce, he said, the Lord came to rescue us. And I said, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And he saw us in the depths of our sin and was willing to come and rescue us out of it. Just, I hope we never get tired of that. That's really why we're gathered together today, Right? The early church gathered, the Lord commanded our gathering so that we could worship the God who has rescued us. And so I hope you never tire of that. And beyond that, we want to hear what he has to say, right? Amen? So forget about me. Let's hear what the Lord has to say. But we do thank you for the many years that you've given us the privilege of being here. We can't imagine being anywhere else, quite honestly. You know, as uh, we said our uh, goodbyes in this life yesterday to uh, Brother Glenn Villers, um boy, what a joy to know that it's just going to be the blink of an eye for him uh, but just a few years for us. Uh, whether it's 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, doesn't matter. We're going to be there together. And so what a blessing it is. And so as I was thinking through that and just um, thinking about the number of years that have gone by, I'm just amazed. It's such a blessing to be a part of a church and watch uh, people have children and then those children get married and then they grow up and you're just a part of all of that in church life and it's just a beautiful beautiful thing Uh, I just I don't want to do anything else I can't imagine what it would be like to do something else Uh, so you guys have just spoiled me terribly and so you're stuck with me so whatever that may mean for you I'm sorry but um, for me it's good (laughs) so we'll just hope that's the case for you as well. Anyway, all right, well, we uh, have been loving uh, our Villers family and uh, many of you here today and uh, your extended family from that and I hope that your evening was okay and that uh, you've had a blessed morning this morning. So continue to pray for them. As in our humanness, it's tough, right? We know the truth, uh, but uh, it's still, t- still tough. And the Lord knew that too. And uh, that's partly why he came to teach us all the things that he did so we know how to process these things. We keep them all in perspective. We don't lose our focus of what we're supposed to be thinking about. Just as as another announcement, uh, you may have gotten an email, I hope you did, of the mini marriage conference that we're going to do here on October the 25th. That's for anybody that wants to come. It's going to be from 6 to 9. That's a Sunday night. Sorry for that. It just seemed like that fit the best timing for everything. Uh, we would love to have you come and be a part of that. So call it mini marriage conference, not because you've been married a short amount of time or because you're small in stature, not for that, <laughs> but it's just because it's going to be short in its, uh, in its time period. So please join us for that. Okay, so um, <clears throat> let's pray, and then we'll get into the text as we continue on in the Lord's prayer and understanding what the Lord has for us there. Father, we thank you for this morning, this joyous occasion that we have uh, as a part of the celebration weekend of Brother Glenn going to be with you. Lord, our hearts are are heavy in a human sense, and and I know the family's hearts are heavy in a human sense, but spiritually, Lord, they're healthy and well, and Lord, we know that Brother Glenn is with you because he had trusted you as Lord and Savior, and we thank you for the gospel message, the gospel truth that you came to rescue us, those all human humanity who is born into sin. That's all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, but Lord, how you demonstrated your love for us, that you came to this earth to rescue us, to give us the hope of eternal life. We put our faith and trust in you. And so our prayer first is that anyone who's hearing today, listening online or here in our presence would know you as God and know you as Lord and understand and believe that you are the resurrected God. And so we rejoice over these things. But now, Lord, we would pray that you'd help us to learn how to be better citizens of your kingdom and we would begin to all live that kingdom life here and now and we would continue in that life for some have been walking with you for many years. Some are just starting on their journey. And so uh, for each group, for everyone in between, we pray that uh, there would be something that we would glean from your word today. We thank you that your word is alive and it's ever present in our hearts and has the ability to penetrate even to the darkest part of us that we may see truth. So expose that to us, we pray, Lord, and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you're with us for the first time today, we're glad to have you here. If you're watching for the first time online, welcome. We're so glad to have you there as well and have this technology. So as I was saying, we're to live as kingdom citizens. So let's listen now as we stand in honor of the word of the Lord. I want to back up again to verse five as we did last time and pick up the full context of what Jesus is teaching now from the sermon. So stand with me as we read in honor to the Lord his word. And then we're going to read... Uh, the lord's prayer and jump into the next part of that now jesus in his teaching he says in verse five when you pray this is chapter six of matthew you are to not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men we've talked through all of that truly i say to you they have their reward in full but you when you pray go into your inner room close your door and pray to your father who is in secret And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Praise the Lord. Now in verse 9, pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you may be seated. As we started out last time, I told you that basically what the Lord is doing here is telling us not so much of how to pray verbatim this prayer, although that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What the Lord is really doing here is he's giving to us a pattern of prayer. And so that's the title of this message. This is part two. We'll have a part three and maybe even a part four if we need to. But part two now is a continuation of a pattern for prayer. So we need to be thinking in light of those terms as we process through what the Lord is teaching us here. Now he has made it very clear, he being the Lord, has made it very clear that prayer is to be a normal part of our life. We've said before, very clearly, that prayer is our communication with him. It is our communion with him. Some people have often wondered what prayer really is. Well, think of it like this. God speaks to us through his word, his revealed written word. We speak to God through prayer. That's what prayer is. It is our link with him, our ability, our time to share with him what's on our hearts. And it's not just about personal prayer. That's what it's commonly thought to be. But there is the sense and the understanding that we need to know that there is a corporate prayer too, much like we just had, where we as the church come together to lift up our concerns, our desires, our blessings to the Lord. Uh, That's what the early church did. If you look in the book of Acts, you'll see when the believers first began to get together, they regularly came together for the purpose of prayer as part of it. Not only just to fellowship and study the word, but they came together to pray. And so I want to put that in your mind, that prayer times as a church are critically important for us. And the times we call the church to pray, whether it be in Sunday school or here or in some special meeting, please make every effort to be a part of that. That's what God has called us to do, both both personally and also corporately. So again, what we need to understand now is that this is not per se a prayer of its own, but this is a pattern to be followed. And once we understand that, then then this pattern becomes very helpful for us. It gives us an outline, if you will, to know how best to pray, or at least to think prayer is a better way to make us a a better person. In fact, some years ago, Robert Louis Stevenson, if you know that name, uh, was a boy, he once remarked to his mother, he said, Mama, you can't be good without praying. And his mama said, Well, Robert, how do you know that? And he says, Because I've tried to do that. <laughs> and so he knew that prayer is not just about making us good, but prayer is something that helps us communicate with God. He goes on to say this, the author of this says, This brings to mind a story about another little fellow, one who had been sent to his room because he had been bad. A short time later, he came out and said to his mother, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. And she said, that's fine, honey. If you ask God to make you good, he'll help you. Oh, I didn't ask him to help me be good, he replied. I asked him to help you to put up with me. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's good, isn't it? So there's a lot of difference of opinion about what prayer is all about. Prayer doesn't make you necessarily good. It doesn't do any of that stuff. Prayer is our communication with the Lord. Now it certainly can help, of course, as we laugh about some of these things. So Jesus' point in all of this is that not only do we need to pray, but there's some critical things to remember when we're praying. So prayer is critical. That should be first and foremost. But there are some things to remember because of who we are praying to. Now I'm just going to give us a little bit of a review in case you missed the meeting last time when we talked about this. In other words, prayer is not about us. Now, it's not wrong to pray about us, but that's really not the important point about prayer. It's not about how you sound. It's not about how other people hear you, what you say, what you don't say, so that others can respond. But it's about your heavenly Father. And that is so critical. And I hope you heard that last time. In other words, our prayer is just what we've said. It is a communion with our heavenly Lord. And so we need to remember that. It's so, so critical. This is an intimate time, this being prayer time. It is an intimate time between us and our Father, whether it be privately or whether it be corporately, and that's how we should view it. We said last time when we're in corporate prayer, we should be thinking one-on-one with the Lord. In fact, that's what I try to practice myself. I'm not the model, but I'm trying to learn from this myself. Even as we're singing, I think of my relationship with the Lord and I'm just trying to focus on my relationship with him and our relationship with him as we're even preparing our hearts to hear the word. And so I think what the Lord is telling us is just that. Focus your prayers on your heavenly father. Remember who he is. Now, last time we also said, and I promised that I would give this to you again because it's a lot to take in. In these verses from 9 to 13, we see an outline uh, of Jesus' thoughts here. Verses 9 and 10, just for your remembering, is a focus on God. If you see those verses, you'll see that clearly as we go through them. Verses 11 through 13, are focus or is a focus on man's needs that are needing to be fulfilled by God. And so you have two parts here. You have this recognition and awareness of God as our Father and who He is. We'll talk more about that today. And then next time we'll begin to talk about where we fit in with this and what our response is and what we're looking for from this communion time with the Lord. Specifically, as you break those down, we saw saw last time God is our Father, but today we want to see how Jesus says we are to recognize Him as being holy. This is a subpart of this first part and our urging of Him for His kingdom to come here on the earth and for His will to come to be our desire. In other words, his will to be done, which should be our desire. And then secondly, last, next time we'll see man's needs that need to be met, whether it be through daily provision, through forgiveness for ourselves or for others, and then even a protection for ourselves from temptation. Okay, so just a reminder, we'll go through that again, again, so you keep it clear in your mind. Now, again, as we focus last time in verse nine, notice he says, our father who art in heaven, we understood that everyone is a creation of God, but only those who surrender their lives to Christ are actually children of God. And we tried to make that clear last time. You may consider yourself a child of God, but never even thought about Jesus. But you need to understand that according to God, in John one twelve, as many as received him, that's Jesus, receiving him, bringing him into your life and understanding who he is, To them he gave the right to become children of God. You see, so there's a distinction between those who are creations of God, which we all are, and those who are children of God. And everybody else who is not a child of God, we learned from John as well, reiterating Jesus' words, that they are children of their father, the devil. And so there are only two fathers. There's the heavenly father, and there's the devilish father, if you will. So you belong to one or the other. There is a father of yours. So you're either the father, the, the son or daughter of the heavenly father or you're the son or the daughter of the devil himself. That's what the Lord made clear in John's gospel. Now you also remember that we said to know God as father sheds a whole new light on the power and the meaning of prayer. Because once we understand God as our father, In the intimacy of that relationship, no longer do we need to live in fear, right? Isn't that a blessing? That our Father loves us and we can go to Him with our concerns and our worries and whatever may be on our minds, which is the second part, to know Him as our Father removes our insecurities. And lots of people live with insecurity. I'm not going to re-preach that message. If you want to go back and listen to that, you're welcome to do that. And I would encourage that if you just want a refresher. But these are just the main points. Uh, Knowing God as our Father removes loneliness. How many people are lonely in this life? Oh my goodness. You think of the numbers of people that are just absolutely lonely. And I have to believe that's part of Satan's plan in this whole COVID mess as he can spin all of these things to gain this foothold in people's lives. And one of the predominant things I keep hearing over and over and over again is I can't stand to not be around people. I'm lonely. And people are very, very lonely. But to know God is our Father helps remove a lot of those feelings. To know God as our Father helps us to keep from being selfish. Remember Jesus said, Our Father. We are brothers and sisters of one another because He is our God. He is our Dad. Remember the word Daddy. He is our Father. And so it's no longer just give to me what I want, but give to us what we need remember we said we should be changing our wording and our singing even corporately lord bless us think of us as a family and so that removes selfishness then fifthly knowing god as our father means he has all the resources we need in this life aren't you glad your heavenly father is rich praise his name we worry and we fuss and we can get ourselves all into work because we don't have this or that. But our Heavenly Father, Jesus, says He already knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that wonderful? And then finally we said knowing God as our Father should cause us to just want to obey Him. We just want to serve You. We just want to honor You. We want to do what You tell us to do. And so these are the things that we learned last time. And so now let's jump into verse 9 again As we see this next part of the prayer, the Lord says we are to honor his name. Honor his name. Look at verse 9. Hallowed be your name. Now, some people have probably looked at that and said, What exactly does that mean? Well, we can deduce some things there in our own understanding, but let's just break it down. To hallowed is a strange kind of a word, but it's translated simply to make holy to consecrate now that's a word we don't often use but it just simply means to set apart to remove him from what's normal to make him different from us to regard as holy one definition says or to honor as holy in other words we are to think of God's name as being more than a warm fatherly figure of course he is we just talked about that it is far more than that though Because because Jesus says he is not only your father, but he is to be remembered as holy. What does that mean? Well, the word holy simply means without defect. He is perfect. He does not make any errors. He is beyond comparison, without any tainting of sin whatsoever. He is separated. He is above us. And again, aren't you thankful for a father like that? As much as I loved my dad, he was not perfect. There were times that I could point to that he was not perfect. He pointed to lots of those times for me. But I in turn could point to times where he was not perfect. But what Jesus is telling us here is your daddy is perfect. He's perfect. He said, no, 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 no. See, we can't comprehend that really in our humanness because everything to us that we know of has some tainting of Wrongness to it right something that's incorrect or incomplete but not with God our father he is perfect in all he does now with that being said we should never refer to him then as just the man upstairs okay that's really very derogatory Now, it's often not meant that way in most people's minds who don't understand this. It's meant to recognize him as being God. But I just want to say to you as a pet peeve of mine, and it should be a pet peeve of yours, that he is not the man upstairs because he is no man. He's not like you and me. And this is what makes him so unique. He is God. In fact, let me just read you some passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 6. As God was speaking to Isaiah, and he wrote these under the divine inspiration of the Spirit, God says of himself, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. And there is no other. How about that? You ever thought about that? I know you have. Because in our humanness, we wonder... Are there these little other gods out there? You know, the Romans had a whole system for them, right? All the fairy tales, all the make-believe stuff, because we think there must be the Egyptians had thousands of them. Other countries have hundreds and thousands of gods. But God says, hey, listen, let's cut to the chase. There are no other gods. I am the only one. Think about that. I am the only god. There are no other gods. Our world spends its time chasing its tail looking for their God and God is saying, hello, I'm the only one. There is none other. Isaiah says of God or God writing will say, I will gird you though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. In verse 21 of the same chapter, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior, and there is no one but me. Isaiah 46, 9, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. You hear this repetition. Isaiah, write this down and get it into the hearts of the people and help them to see that I am God and there is no one like me. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, just to even go a little deeper, he says, and check this out, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, your ways, excuse me, my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Boy, we could dwell on that for a long time, couldn't we? You go outside on a beautiful day like today or tonight and you look up into the heavenlies and you go, where in the world did all that come from? And we believe by faith what God has told us and saying, look, you see all this? Just understand that as much as you try to figure out me, you'll never be able to do it because my thoughts and my ways and my understandings are so far beyond you. So he's describing for us, I'm just simply doing this through Isaiah because he's describing for us what it means to have a holy God. He's perfect. And there's no one like Him. And listen, we never show the holiness of God more than we and we ourselves live holy lives. We in turn are to be just that way by being obedient to Him, not taking His name in vain when we thank Him for the daily provisions of life. In other words, when we acknowledge Him for who He is. We are reflecting His holiness to the world. To be citizens of his kingdom means that we recognize who he is and we live under his headship. And the world sees him through us and recognizes that we're different. One writer said this, to truly hallow his name is to consciously draw him into every daily thought, every daily word, and every daily action." David put the focus on his life where it should always be. I have set the Lord continually before me, Psalm 16, verse 8. I have continually set the Lord. To hallow the name, to set him apart, means that you and I, in everything that we do, through action, word, or deed, recognize him as God. Everything. Everything. He is not to be pushed off into a corner. He's not to just be brought in when we need him. He is to be acknowledged as God of our lives always. And so God is not to be compared to anyone. So don't assume you can live any way that you want and be called a part of his family and think it will be okay. That is a great and tragic mistake. Now God is gracious, God is kind, he is merciful. He is all of that, and praise his name, he is all of that. But God tells us here, in your pattern of thinking in your prayer life, you need to remember regularly, he is also holy, which means he will not tolerate our sin. But do you see how Jesus is elevated when we begin to understand that? Do you see how critical it is that we have a Savior, one who can rescue us from the judging righteousness of this holy God? It's critical. Philip Yancey, you recognize that author's t- name. Some of you have read his books, I'm sure. Wrote this. He says, Once as an experiment, the great scientist Isaac Newton stared at an image of the sun reflecting in a mirror. I would not advise that. The brightness burned into his retina and he suffered temporary blindness. Even after he hid for three days behind closed shutters, still the bright spot would not fade from his vision. Quote, he says, I used all means to divert my imagination from the sun. Unquote. But if I thought upon him, I presently saw his picture, though I was in the dark, talking about the sun. He couldn't get away from it. No matter what he did, he could not remove this image from his eyes. He said, If I stared a few minutes longer, excuse me, the, uh, Yancey says, if he had stared a few minutes longer, Newton might have permanently lost all his vision. The chemical receptors that govern eyesight cannot withstand the full force of unfiltered sunlight. There's a parable in Isaac Newton's experiment, Yancey says, and it helps illustrate what the Israelites ultimately learned from the wilderness wanderings. They had attempted to live with the Lord of the universe visibly present in their midst, but in the end, out of all the thousands who had so gladly fled Egypt, only two survived God's presence. That's an amazing truth. in the midst of understanding and when we really grasp the fact of who God is you and I cannot stand the holiness of God we must see him that way we must be fully aware of him in that light now concerning his name what is Jesus talking about here Well, we need to understand that this is not what he's called it's not just a title for him there is a title Lord for him But there are also many other names for God in Scripture. And those of you who have done studies on this, you know this, that He is the God who heals. He is the helping God. All these gracious acts. He is the provider we've already talked about. He is the God of peace, the God of righteousness, and many others. And there are numerous places in Scripture where we see these names of God all as a recognition of Himself. And each is a reference to the recognition of His makeup. In other words, how He operates. These names define what He is like in His heart. But Jesus means in this particular pattern, as He's talking to us about remembering who God is, He's saying to us that God's name is a representation of all that He is. Every part of His being, and that's why He phrases it this way. He's talking about His character, His will, His Likeness, what he is like, are far beyond all of our comprehension. So we are to remember in our pattern of praying just these truths. In fact, one of the greatest illustrations biblically, in my opinion, of God expressing the amazing aspect of his name is when he passes in front of Moses while Moses is up on the mountain and he says to God, show me your glory. You remember this story? It's in Exodus chapter 34. I'll read that in just a second. And God says, no, Moses, I'm not going to let you see me. Now, why wouldn't he do that? Because God's holy. And he says, no man can look upon me and live because of my holiness. But he says, here's what I'll do, Moses. I'll let you see the next best thing, and that is I'll let you see my backside. And so he passes in front of Moses, but he turns and only lets Moses see the backside of him. And here's what Moses hears in Exodus 34, 5. Excuse me, verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Listen, God is defining himself. I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm gracious, but I'm holy. And this is all encompassed in my name. So remember me in my name. In other words, you and I, when we talk about people's names, we often think about the individual. I can call out names and you would immediately think of people. But what we really mean when we say something about a person's name like the expression of he or she has a good name or he or she has a bad name, what we're really talking about is the inner person, right? We're talking about what they're like in their core, who they are. We would say this person has ruined their name in the community. Does that mean nobody should ever use the name Bill or Sam or John anymore? No, that's not what we're talking about. We know that. We're talking about the character of that individual has been tainted. And the Lord is telling us, listen, in your prayer life, remember the name of your father is good because he is good. His character is holy. David said in Psalm 9, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Those who know your name, you mean Jehovah? Not just Jehovah, but what Jehovah represents. He is God. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Your character can be trusted. Psalm 7, verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Why? Because of what He represents. Psalm 113. Verse 1 through 4, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to the, its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. And then in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some boast in chariots and some in horses. In other words, they boast about their things in this life but we as God's people boast in the name of the Lord our God because he is our God and because he has proven himself to be who he is and so if there's an application for us I think we would simply say we need to be careful to remember his name certainly but I think even beyond that we also need to remember we represent his name you and I carry his name and in our hearts and in our souls and when we go out into the world we are representing our Heavenly Father who is holy and His character is flawless and so let's not blow it when it comes to showing the world who our Father is you know, how tragic is it when we live a certain way and, and we misrepresent the name of our Father and cause people to turn away from Him how tragic that would be Now next in the Lord's pattern of prayer, in verse 10, notice he says, thy kingdom come. So in our pattern of prayer, we should remember and plead for the Lord to reign as king over the earth. That's what he's saying to us here. So part of our goal for our lives should be to see the day when Jesus reigns on the earth as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nothing that we should hope for more than that. For Jesus is king to come and to settle all of this world's problems. Wouldn't you be glad for that? To establish himself in his rightful place? That's what the disciples wanted. As they learned that Jesus would soon be leaving them and they were trying to process all of what that meant in their humanness and make sense out of all of that. Uh, Jesus said first to them, you see all of these stones and he was talking about the temple and all its beauty and glory. He said, you see all this, boys? He says, there's coming a day where all of this is going to be torn down. And the disciples were really mystified by all of that because of its grandeur and its amazing view and beauty of it all. And it caused them to say in verse 3, tell us, Jesus, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. In other words, their hearts were just encapsulated with The thought that Jesus is leaving, how terrible that must have been in a human sense, but how joyful and longing it must have been for them to hear of him coming again. The opposite, unfortunately, is just as true for us is that often the kingdom that we want to see built is our own. What we can do with the ruling pattern of our lives. You remember how sin teaches us to be the king on the throne, right? talked about that many times over the years we want to have our kingdom with our plans with our dreams with our goals and we want God to come along with that and say make this okay we want your blessings but can we just do it my way God instead of praying that his way would be done we're often so much more concerned with all that the world provides we're more concerned about what we're not getting in this world the things we wish we had so we work every day, our fingers to the bones as the song goes, to get everything together that we want, to feel secure, to, as the phrase would say, to build our little castles in the sand, which ends up being just nothing more than a castle in the sand as the wave just comes and washes it away. And you and I know that to be true. As we celebrated yesterday Brother Glenn's homegoing. who of us could not sit here and think about the brevity of life how quickly it passes in front of us and and how quickly like I was talking about earlier the 18 years have gone for my family and me and for you as we've been here and we think about the people that have come and gone those that have been born and moved off those that have gone on into the next life and, and we realize it really is just a vapor like Solomon said and so we often get lost in all of that and, and think I just got to do everything I can do now because if I don't, it's, I'm just going to lose it all. If we're building this, this edifice to ourselves, when the truth should be, as Jesus says, in our prayer life and in our thinking, we should be longing for the kingdom of God to come to the earth, not our own kingdom. That's his point. And just to be clear, if we're dissecting this a little bit, when Jesus instructs us here, pray for God's kingdom to come, he's not so much talking about the physical kingdom. But that's what we really want because our eyes think physically. we Our hearts want something we can put our hands around and touch and feel and hold on to. But God's kingdom is so much more than that. This is He's referring to God's dominion is what he's really saying here. His rulership. So when we're praying, we're praying for Christ and His headship to come, not just physically. That day will come, certainly, and we long for that to come, but what we really should be praying in this life is that the dominion of God's kingdom rules in the hearts of people. That's what He's really wanting us to do, so that people will hear the blessed gospel truth and be born again. That's the point. Pray that God would open hearts so they hear, beloved, listen, there is coming a day where there will be souls that enter into a devilish hell forever, forever and forever. And I'm not just trying to make something sound good in an oratory fashion. I'm telling us the truth according to what God has said here. People will die and they will spend an eternity in hell because they have violated the holiness of God and they have not received His gift of forgiveness through His Son. And they will live eternally separated from Him. And just get your head around that for a second what it means to live in that eternal torment, a just punishment for those that violate the sin, violate the holiness of God. God is not unjust in his punishment. But for us, we look at that and we think, how horrible that must be. Well, I can tell you, for God, it's horrible as well, as he grieves over that. But nonetheless, he will not abdicate his holiness. And so we should be praying, God open the hearts and the minds of people so that they see and so that they hear and they learn and that they understand because we are part of his kingdom. So we pray for his coming physically. Yes, we want that, but we long for him to come and his kingdom to come into the hearts of people because if souls are not saved, it's going to be a dreadful day, a dreadful day. So again, this is so much more than a prayer for Christians to be put onto display and and our society society to be changed by the works that we do. It's so much more about Christ reigning in the hearts of people. And and by the way, we're not even talking about just an improved society when we're talking about this. We're not just praying that Christ would come into the hearts of people so that society is a little nicer place to live. That's great too. But there is no value to a social gospel. A social gospel just says to people, change your ways and society will be better. Turn over a new leaf. Go to church. Become a better person. Well, that's all good. But it doesn't change a heart. Not in an eternal sense. So it's not about that. Jesus is saying his kingdom is not of this world in John 18. And no sinful man could or could ever change the hearts of another person to be what they need to be. Only the Lord himself can do that. And so your job and my job in our prayers is to say, God, please open the hearts of those so that they see your kingdom come into the life of these people. And I hope you're taking advantage of that. I hope you're taking advantage of that little... Message that I preached some time ago now called Bless Every Home. Do you remember that? We talked about some of the technical ways it can help us. Uh, there's a program out there that you can get an email of the people who live right around you in your neighborhood so that you can personally be praying for them. I still get those emails every day. I get one for the neighborhood here around the church, and I get one for my own neighborhood. And and quickly, every morning, as much as I try to, sometimes I forget, but I try to remember, God, open their eyes. That's my prayer always, because I don't know anything about their lives, unless I've met some of them. That we just pray, God, help them to see the glorious truth of your gospel before it's too late. And so I hope you're taking advantage of that. And lastly, let's look at verse 10 here, and we'll be done. Jesus is teaching us in this pattern of prayer that we're to pray that his will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are two parts to this, if you look at it for just a second. Number one, he's saying in our pattern of prayers, we are praying that our will conforms to his will. And this is very important. That's otherwise, he wouldn't have said this. There's really no other way around this, if you, if you look at this. We're, we're really good at go- calling on God to follow us. Do what I need you to do, Lord, and what we want. And again, that's not wrong in itself. When we have needs, God wants us to come to him with our concerns. But too often, we're so selfish. And we just want him to fix us and fix things for us. But we were created by Him, not the other way around. And so our prayers need to be, Lord, if it's Your will, would You do this? If this is what You want, if this is what You know is best, this is what's on my heart, and so would You do this or make it happen? And John says that very clearly in 1 John 5. This is the confidence which we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of Him. In other words, God will answer our prayers when we acknowledge He is God. He's telling us that. And when we are obedient to Him. Psalm 66. If I regard wickedness in my heart, God will not hear me. Listen. When we live a sinful life and we're not following what God has said, He has said to us, I will not listen to you. I'm not going to listen. Because you're more concerned about what you want and your sinful tendencies than you are about what I want. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow. Now tell me that's not awesome. Let me just read that again. If you abide in me, what's he saying? If you live your life purposed for me, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. And you say, "Really? I can get that Maserati, <laughs> right?" I mean, that's, that's what he's saying, right? I mean, I can, I can win the lottery. No. That's not what he's. Let's just be clear. No, that's not what he's saying. Because when your will aligns with His will, all of a sudden, what you really want is what He wants, right? That's what He's saying. The tendencies of your heart will begin to dissipate because you'll be so much more concerned about what I want that then your heart will be patterned in the right way. And whatever you ask me will be in line with my will. And I'm going to answer that. I'm going to give that to you. And so we know. According to this pattern. He's saying listen. Recognize me as your God and Father. Understand that I am holy. Pray that my kingdom will come to the earth. And ask whatever you will. Because when you're thinking rightly like that. I'm going to do it. Because that's already my will. It's already my plan. And you're going to be blessed by it. The second part of this verse 10 is this notice that he says his will be done on earth just like it is in heaven you might ask okay well wait a minute why this command i mean that seems a little strange well there are two parts to this as well we need to remember as he's saying his will be done on earth just like it is in heaven seems to be a little bit of a dichotomy there it seems to be a paradox it seems to be something that doesn't under it's not understandable but let's just go back to what we know and that is this world now is under the control of Satan, right? That's part 1 we have to remember. Part 2 is but God still is in control of all things. So here's God, here's Satan, but God is still in control of it all, but Satan still has Satan, Satan has been given the ability to do what he wants to do in this part of the wor- in this part of life. But that causes tension for us because we don't understand how God can be around the whole thing and Satan still be in control of the world. How do we justify that? How do we reconcile that? Well, you remember that God has relinquished control of the earth, partly. He said that in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the people, the unbelieving that is so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. John 12:31. the ruler of this world will one day be cast out. 1 John 5:19. we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there's a need for godliness to be at work in and through God's people because Satan is the God of this world. And God has determined, though, listen now, God has determined that our prayers will work in conjunction with His will. You say, that's pretty deep, Pastor. Well, Let me say it again. God has determined that our prayers will work in conjunction with His will. That's what it means to be a sovereign God. You say, well, that just makes us like robots. That's pretty robotic, isn't it? Or just blind followers? no. That makes us obedient. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit. Well, why do I need to do that? Because God has said to do that. Luke 18.1, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Jesus himself prayed. He said, but I thought God was in control of all things. Why do I need to pray? Well, Paul says in Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in all things. And with the attitude of thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians 5:17, pray without ceasing. There are lots of things in this spiritual world we don't understand that we can't reconcile in our minds like let's just have a, subject, a conversation about the Trinity. I can't explain from God's mind how the Trinity works. Man has tried desperately to figure out the Trinity. In fact, our neighbors across the street will say, well, yeah, Jesus is not a part of the Godhead. He is a created being of the God to try to figure this out. But that's not what God says. God says, no, I am one God made up of three persons. You say, oh, I get it. It's like this. There's Pastor Bruce. There's Bruce the dad. There's Bruce the whatever else. All the same Bruce, just three different parts. No, that's not it either. God made up of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Explain that. I don't know how he does that. But that's not important that I know how he does that. God just says there are things that you can't understand like how I can be in full control but yet at the same time turn the world over to a satanic demonic being and let him have his way while I'm in full control of all things. I don't understand that any more than I understand the Trinity or how Jesus can be fully man and fully God at the same time. You say, well, that's easy because, again, he wasn't really fully God. I mean, he cried and God wouldn't cry. You know, people come up with all kinds of things. No, he is fully man and he is fully God at the same time. Can't explain that. God says, so in your prayer life, this is not a paradox for God. What a paradox for us is not something that God is confused by. God has simply said, you pray my will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And here's the thing, beloved. In heaven, there is no sin. And those who are full of sin, you and me, will not be there without some way of our sin being forgiven. Those who live in their sin will never enter in into the kingdom of heaven, right? And so we know these things to be true. So these are not contradictions for God. God has just said, you need to obey me and follow me in your pattern of prayer and so God has determined that man is to have his own will yet fall in line perfectly with God's plan anyway how does he do that? I don't know how he does that it's not important that I understand, it's not important that you understand what's important is you obey what he has said, why? because as Isaiah said there is only one God there is none other and he's taught us about himself so that we follow who he is And everything that he does through us aligns perfectly with his plan for eternity. Yet at the same time, he sovereignly adjusts according to our prayers. How can you have a plan set in place but adjust according to our prayers? He's God. It's not a problem for him. It'd be a good theological talk, wouldn't it, to debate all that? So, what are we saying through all this, finally? Our pattern of prayer is to simply follow the fact that God is holy. We are to plea for his kingdom to come in the hearts of people and for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the pattern as we think about our relationship with the Lord, okay? And there's much more that we could talk about from that. But we'll look into this again Next time. Let's just say it this way, beloved. There's a couple things to remember. One is, the most vital part of all of this always is where you are personally with the Lord. That's step number one, always. And I would say the same thing to those watching online. Thought and question, whatever you want to call it, number one is, where am I with this one who is the Lord and that there is none other? Am I really going to try to go toe-to-toe with him? Am I really going to try to stand up to him and convince him that I'm better than he says I am? I think not. But what he does say in return is, is if you'll give your life to me, I'll change you. I'll make you like me. I'll put my spirit in you. Your thoughts will change. Your habits will change. Your perspective on everything will change. You'll see the truth as it needs to be seen. And you will be my child. And one day I'll bring you to be with me in my kingdom. That's step number one. Number two now is for those of us who've done that. To be able to live according to what God has said for us to do. And so that's what we do each and every week. We learn and we go out and we apply what we've learned. And so this week as we pray. We need to be praying these kinds of ways. Not just according to the pattern laid out here. Or the set verses laid out. But that we begin to think and process what it means to pray in these ways, and God will reveal that truth to us. Okay? Not talking about something mystical or weird. Some people might hear me say that and say, Yeah, I can't follow all that. I'm still just trying to figure out what you just talked about. I get that. I get that. That's why God takes us just as a child. We don't have to have the mind of Einstein. We can be children who just simply come to Him dirty, muddy, And with our questions and he'll receive us just like any loving father would. Isn't it beautiful how God packages all this together? Don't forget, I'm holy, I'm just, I'm righteous, but I'm also your father who loves you. And I know how to deal with you just the way you are. And I'll take you just like you are. And I'll make you what I want you to be. Praise his name, right? Praise his name. All right, let's pray. Father, we do praise your name. We do thank you. Lord, there is, boy, there are a lot of things that uh, we try to process about you that are tough, challenging. But how wonderful it is to know that we can all come back to the fact that you are our loving Father, our Daddy, who is far different from us, far different in thought, and far different in pattern, the way you conduct yourself. But Lord, how You've given to us what you're like in the person of Jesus as you sent your Son, the second person of your Trinity, the one who came to redeem us, to pay our debts, to buy us back from sin, that we might see you for who you are. Jesus said of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Lord, as we look into your earthly life, we thank you that we see a beautiful, perfect facsimile of the Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are a God of love and grace and mercy and kindness and you will receive us and accept us for who we are as we are when we surrender ourselves to you. So Lord do that today would you please would you call those to you whom you've chosen from eternity past would you rescue the lost and help them to see you as Lord and Savior Father before it's too late we know there's a day coming we're not going to miss it We're not going to miss that day where this heart stops beating. And so before that...